On this vote, the yeas are 53, the nays are 47, and this nomination is confirmed. A black woman confirmed for the Supreme Court. Civilians executed in cold blood. The screws tighten further on Russia. What concrete steps can each of your companies take right now to reduce the price at the pump? And oil executives on the hot seat, when will gas prices fall? I'm Paul Brandis. You're listening to West Wing Reports from Washington. It's Friday, April 8th. History in the making, the first black woman has been confirmed for the Supreme Court. The Senate vote read by the first black woman to serve as vice president. Ketanji Brown-Jackson, she'll be sworn in this summer after the formal retirement of Stephen Breyer. She's just 51 years old. It's the fulfillment of a major campaign pledge by candidate Joe Biden in 2020. He promised to put a black woman on the high court, and now he has. It will presumably help in the November midterms, which currently aren't looking too good for Democrats. reason things aren't looking too good for Democrats is inflation. One example, of course, high gas prices. Now, they've come down about seven cents in the past week. That's according to AAA's national average, but that's still up about a buck thirty from a year ago. Oil companies are sitting on thousands of drilling permits, not drilling, and CEOs of some of the biggest firms were grilled on Capitol Hill this week. Congressman Morgan Griffith, a Virginia Republican, asked each of them the same question. Is your company taking advantage of the crisis and you came to keep prices artificially high in order to increase your own profits? Absolutely not. The Mr. Woods was Darren Woods of ExxonMobil. The others gave the same answer. Analysts point out that market forces are what's driving prices. They point out there are no gas shortages. It's just that this is a global commodity and demand is high. Meantime, here's something else to think about. There are pros and cons to both high and low prices. High oil prices, for example, fuel Vladimir Putin's war machine, that's no good. It also props up Saudi Arabia and Iran, also not good. On the other hand, high prices will likely incentivize people to buy electric cars. GM, Ford, and others plan to be all electric in a decade or so. That is where the market is headed. On the other hand, low prices are bad for Putin. That's good. But it also puts oil and gas workers here out of business. That's a boom and bust industry. Low prices will also slow the move to electric cars, slow efforts to decarbonize. That's an issue that's getting more serious by the day, of course. So these are big market and policy contradictions that are bumping up against each other.
We often hear about the individuals who took the oath of office to become the chief executive. But what about the other people who play a role in each administration or the events that may not be as well known, but that contribute to the reshaping of the office of the American presidency? On the presidencies of the United States, we explore each administration beyond just the person holding the highest elected office in order to better understand the history that brought us to the modern day presidency. I hope you'll join me on this journey through the annals of presidential history. Presidencies can be found anywhere fine podcasts can be found and is a proud member of the Evergreen Podcast Network. Civilians executed in cold blood, bodies dumped into mass graves, a sense of brutality and inhumanity left for all the world to see unapologetically. There's nothing less happening than major war crimes. Responsible nations have to come together to hold these perpetrators accountable. And together with our allies and our partners, we're going to keep raising the economic costs and ratchet up the pain for Putin and further increase Russia's economic isolation. President Biden on the war in Ukraine. You've probably seen the horrifying images on TV innocent civilians being slaughtered, reports of torture, women, even girls being raped. The U.S. and its allies have rolled out new sanctions against the Russians. Among other things, they're now targeting Putin's two adult daughters, banning any new Western investment in Russia, and hitting two of the country's biggest banks with full-blocking sanctions for the first time. But some officials say the one thing that's really needed to hurt the Russians still is not being done, and that is to stop all purchases of Russian oil and gas. As I mentioned a minute ago, that is what is fueling Putin's war machine. Ukraine's foreign minister put it bluntly this week. He said, quote, as long as the West continues buying gas and oil, it is supporting Ukraine with one hand and Russia's war machine with the other. Meantime, for all the armchair pundits who think they know how the war is going, former President Barack Obama is more cautious. He tells The Atlantic's Jeffrey Goldberg that Putin's sheer unpredictability makes forecasting any endgame difficult. think that Ukraine can win by your definition of what win might be? I mean, you look at these cities and you look at the populations and you look at the exodus. Um, it's hard to describe that as a win. Um, and I think it's too early to tell what an endgame looks like. Uh, I, I, I would not um, try to predict not only what's in the minds of Putin, but also um, how the Ukrainians conceive of this struggle. Because we are sitting here comfortably and they are going through heck. And, um, and I... You know, the, the one thing I try not to do is to um, project onto them what they should do uh, and what they should, uh, what we should, uh, how we should define what's tolerable, uh, what the nature of the resistance should look like, how if negotiations proceed, uh, those should proceed. I think what we can do is support them and their efforts and their courage. And I think the other thing that we can do is, is 
um, take this as a uh, as a lesson that sadly they're paying the price for, but that we still have uh, that, that that speaks to a, 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 a much more uh, bumpy, difficult, violent, challenging future for the coming generation if we don't uh, get some things right here at home, in Europe, and uh, in Asia, in Latin America, because these are not, what what's happening there is not isolated. Meantime, get this, House Republicans, 63 of them voted no on a non-binding resolution reaffirming, quote, unequivocal support for the North Atlantic Treaty Organization as an alliance founded on democratic principles, unquote. 63 Republicans voted against NATO. And six House Republicans also voted this week against a bill that would direct the White House to report to Congress on any war crimes in Ukraine and turn over any evidence to international investigations. There's talk, of course, of somehow trying Putin as a war criminal. One of the six was Georgia's Marjorie Taylor Greene, who's often linked to QAnon-type conspiracies, just crazy stuff. She drew this angry rebuke from Maryland's Jamie Raskin. The, the general lady, I think, said something about the Russian hoax or uh, Russian collusion. I, I accept the heckling, Mr. Speaker, that that's all right. Because if she wants to continue to stand with Vladimir Putin and his brutal, bloody invasion against the people of Ukraine, she is free to do so. And we understand there is a strong Trump-Putin axis in the general lady's party. If she wants to continue to stand with Vladimir Putin and Donald Trump, that is her prerogative. But please do it on your own time, forthwith. Among Green's other claims, you may recall that she once said that those California wildfires, she thinks they're caused deliberately by a wealthy Jewish family using a laser fired from space. Can't make this stuff up. You know, there's just not enough time to tell you all the bizarre things she says and does. That's just one example. Economic news now. The number of Americans filing for unemployment benefits has fallen to its lowest level since 1968. That figure is even more impressive when you consider that the population is 60, 60 percent bigger today. The job market in America continues to boom. Now let's hear about another Evergreen podcast that I know you'll enjoy. History is complicated. The story of human progress is long, messy, and riddled with controversies big and small. On Conflicted, we dive headfirst into history's most infamous events and contentious figures. We try and untangle the good from the bad, the facts from the fiction, and the monsters from the misunderstood. Was Genghis Khan a murderous butcher or a civic pioneer? Did the Allied powers go too far? in firebombing the German city of Dresden at the twilight of World War II? And how did the Marquis de Sade acquire such a sinister reputation? And was any of it true? These are just a few of the tough questions we wrestle with and investigate on Conflicted. So if you love history or just enjoy a good story, please join me, your host, Zach 
Cornwell for a fascinating new topic each and every month. Conflicted, a history podcast is available on Spotify, Apple, or wherever else you get your podcasts. I hope to see you soon. Time now to open up the West Wing Reports archives and see what made history this week in the past. The first shots of the Civil War were fired in 1861 when Confederate forces shelled Fort Sumter, South Carolina. Union forces held out for 33 hours before surrendering. Four years later, though, 1865, Abraham Lincoln learned that the South had surrendered, bringing the war to a close. The Civil War remains by far the bloodiest war in U.S. history. 750,000 Americans were killed. That's the equivalent of nearly 8 million Americans today. Lincoln, of course, would be assassinated just days later. 1951, as the Korean War raged, Harry Truman spoke to the nation. I believe that we must try to limit the war to Korea for these vital reasons to make sure that the precious lives of our fighting men are not wasted, to see that the security of our country and the free world is not needlessly jeopardized, and to prevent a third world war. And for that reason, Truman dropped a bombshell. He was firing Douglas MacArthur, the hugely popular five-star general. A number of events have made it evident that General MacArthur did not agree with that policy. I have therefore considered it essential to relieve General MacArthur so that there would be no doubt or confusion as to the real purpose and aim of our policy. It was with the deepest personal regret that I found myself compelled to take this action. General MacArthur is one of our greatest military commanders, but the cause of world peace is much more important than any individual. Truman thought the general was insubordinate and wanted to expand the Korean War into China. Truman thought that was too risky. The president's popularity plunged. He did not seek re-election the next year. Speaking of the Cold War, by the way, one of its most famous phrases was coined in 1954 by Dwight Eisenhower, the domino theory. He said that if one country in a region say Vietnam, fell to communism, that others would eventually follow. It didn't turn out that way, but that's what people thought in the 1950s and 1960s and helped lead to the Vietnam War. Want more history? Check out my books on Amazon. I'll sign them for you, too. Just shoot me an email. Pbrand is at evergreenpodcasts.com. And need a speaker for your event? I do that, too. Current events, economics, analysis, history— I'll connect the dots and would love to hear from you. Speaking of books, I'll send you one if you download my new app. It's called West Wing Reports, available in the Apple and Android stores. Just download it on your phone or tablet. There's a button called What's on Your Mind. All you do is push, talk, and send. That's it. Leave a comment and your name goes into a drawing for any of my books, your choice. Speaking of Harry Truman, by the way, he's the source of this week's quote, something you might find useful. He said, quote, an honest public servant can't become rich in politics. He can only attain greatness and satisfaction by service. Certainly true today.
Well, that's all for this week. Here's my email again, pbrandis at evergreenpodcasts.com. West Wing Reports is a production of Evergreen Podcasts. Special thanks to C-SPAN and The Atlantic for the audio clips. Our producer, sound designer, and engineer, Noah Fouts. Executive producers, Michael DeAloya and Gerardo Orlando. I'm Paul Brandis in Washington. Thanks so much for listening. See you next week. I'm Allison Holland, host of the Kennedy Dynasty podcast. Equipped with a microphone and a long-term fascination of the Kennedy family, I am joined by an incredible cast of experts, friends, and guests to take you on a fun, relaxed, yet informative journey through history and pop culture. From book references to fashion to philanthropy to our modern expectations of the presidency itself, you'll see that there is so much more to Kennedy than just JFK or conspiracy theories. Join me for the Kennedy Dynasty podcast.